You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and this podcast is brought to you by Go Hunt. We got a new topic today. We're going to be talking um, some West River, you know, west of the Mississippi coyote hunting. We haven't done that yet, and I have Blake Garrett on the podcast today. Blake, if, you have, if you're not following Blake, there's a, there's a definite chance you're going to see some of the biggest West River whitetails you've ever seen, but he also whacks a lot of coyotes, so... I thought it'd be a great episode. We might get distracted. As everyone knows, I love white-tailed deer running, but we thought we'd start with at least the coyotes since that's the time of year we're getting to. So how are you doing today, Blake? Good, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. So um, before we get too crazy into the podcast, you know, your season just wrapped up. You got like maybe a little gap here before people really start chasing coyotes because from what I gather, I'm not a big coyote hunter myself. It's kind of like a February, March thing. Yeah, so for us in Missouri, it's it's kind of all year for daytime stuff, but night uh, nighttime like thermal stuff. We have only have a sixty day season here in Missouri, so okay. it opens February first and then runs to the end of March. So that's when we really put the like put the pressure on them. I guess we could say really hit, try to pile them up as much as possible. Hit them hard, then okay. So you got yeah. like you got like a one. Well, Missouri, you guys' deer seasons are I think are a little later too, right? Are you still? Deer yeah, hunting? we're not. We're, yeah, we're still in archery um, until oh. the 15th okay. of January. So you're going to get yep. a two-week kind of break, get as much yeah. sleep as you can, and then staying up all night. It's it's Yeah, and that two-week break is right in the middle of, like, show season. So I've got, like, ATA and SHOT Show and all this stuff to prepare for. And so it's – yeah, I really don't get a break until spring. But Wow. Are you well, doing this full-time? Like, just – Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've done uh, – I've been a full-time content creator for, like – I think six, eight years, been on television since 2010, uh, started with TV and then just kind of found some holes and some marketing stuff and saw, Hey, there's some options to give marketers kind of a better return on their investment Yeah, and started kind of working independently with them and kind of got more, uh, more behind the camera, I guess I could say than in front, mm. um, after I got out of TV and really just started kind of working behind the scenes and trying to build the brand off of just content and exposure and not so much about Blake Garrett. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I love the hunt. I love to do it, but uh, I also like to entertain people and I really like it when people, people like the content and watch it. So that's, that's kind of where my passion has been the last couple of years for sure. Awesome. Yeah. There's definitely, it was kind of a side topic. I, I'm a little biased because I have another podcast that I host, and I, I actually started that one about outdoor entrepreneurship because um, I've got a product business, and I just love sharing people's stories, get more people inspired to do the kind of things that you're doing, you know, every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's definitely, a like, a huge gap 
between like the quality that some people are putting out now on their own, you know, on YouTube's or their own websites, like compared to what you're like used to seeing on, you know, standard airwave television, 22 minutes with ads and like there's so much more creativity going on now for like people like yourself that are doing it themselves and just telling stories and like it's crazy how much better almost everything about it is like advertising's more native um the storytelling's better it seems like sometimes the camera quality like the just the production quality's better like i'm blown away like i'm like i don't who watches shows on tv anymore unless you just really like that person i'm like i'm just going to yeah. youtube and watch everything yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, for me, it's kind of it may sound crazy, but like I, I look at it like I look at art or anything else in the culture of it's kind of molded and changed to allow producers to have a lot more freedom with what right. they do and how to do it. Right. I mean, there's no I was gatekeeper TV, anymore telling you no, what they really, want to see. No. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and there's no requirements, right? Like TV, you know, you've got 18 minutes. You've got a show that really shows for 18 minutes total. Um, you have to have 13 episodes if you buy it, you know, so, so guys are going out and they're just whacking stuff with mediocre footage just to try to fill those gaps for right. what those were, where a guy like me, like I can work with stuff. And I, if I want to make a 30 second video, I can do it. If I want to make a 15 minute video, I can do it. If I want to make a 30 minute, I can do it. You know, whatever kind of situation arises, I can kind of change my tactics to do that and produce that. And I think ultimately, I think marketers have seen kind of that advantage. Yeah. And uh, and definitely on the price points, you know, you don't, you're not in the hole a hundred thousand dollars at the beginning of the year when you buy your airtime anymore, right? So you don't have the overhead, which yeah. is really nice. So I've found more passion in building. We I built some commercials now that are on TV uh, for companies. I do print ad stuff for them behind the scenes stuff. And for me, I, I'm just happy to be here. Right? Like right. My goal as a kid was just to do this for a living and do what I love. And so the fame, the, you know, I don't know, all the fame fortune stuff is out the window for me. I'm just having fun yeah. and trying to entertain somebody. And, uh, it means a lot when people, you know, come to the pro platform, like Instagram or things like that. And are like, man, I watch your stuff. It's awesome. I, really like this i really like this like that means more than anything else you know it's not about me sitting behind a deer gripping and grinning it's just more about people being entertained and and learning and hopefully you know people down the road kids that watch it kind of have an easier road that can right. get into it with this way instead of like you said like a gatekeeper and things like that yeah that's crazy we'll have to get you on the other podcast at some point and hear like your full story because i'm sure we could For go sure like multiple hours if we're talking hunting and brand and business and all these things at once. But um, the one thing I was curious about, so, you know, when you started on the air and you're trying to fill episodes, were you then is, you know, were you a predator hunter before that? Or were you like, Hey, you know, there's a, this is an option to do like one or two episodes of this to kind of fill out my season and kind of added it as you've started this journey of, you know, entrepreneurship or whatever you would be on your own. Um, you know, working for yourself, did that come in later? No, actually, coyotes that were kind of like fishing was to me, oh. where it was I got to do by myself to get away, not have to worry about taking a camera. It was kind of my time off. Oh, nice. Right. It, it was what I really just enjoyed when I could just kind of reset. It came at a very good time of the year for me because whitetails were over and it's just crazy for whitetails, you know. So, the whole when I was doing television, it was all about turkeys and deer, 
Yeah. And I say it to this day. I had a podcast last week I was doing and I was talking about how deer is work. Like and they are. Like I love deer. My passion for deer is insane. Has to be because I would be so burned out in it in this aspect of it. But deer season is work for me. It's when I have to, you know, any missed opportunity on content gathering is a downfall. Like you have that pressure as well as you just have pressure of killing a good deer and killing the deer you want and playing that chess match. But on top of it, you have, you know, it's a lot of guys don't realize, but if you have a nine to five job, say you go in and you work overtime for a month straight. Right. And then at the end of the time, you don't get paid because yeah. the deer didn't show up. You know, tough. like that's the thing. You can put everything you want to into it, but yeah. if the deer doesn't line up right and the situation doesn't come or you don't get it on camera or then you, it's not there, right? You just wasted all that time. So there's just so much pressure with whitetails that really predator hunting came from me just just trying to get some time off and having fun. And then it slowly started building and building and building. And I'm trying my best to not turn it into work. Yeah. But almost getting to the point to where it's like, okay, it could be another avenue to kind of chase as well. Because right. I watch anything on the page. It's I mean, I go from deer, you know, whitetail management prep, food plot stuff, all the way into hunting. Then I go into coyotes. Then I go into turkeys. And then we go right back into whitetail. Man- I mean, it's just a constant yeah. all year long. We're busy. But that's what I have to do to do it full time, yeah. right? It's just not, you know, for where, where it is and what I have to do. But I'm still trying to keep a little bit of, a little bit of uh, coyote hunting to, to myself yeah, <laughs> as much as I can, you know. Just having fun and going out and doing it. So. I, um, I've never shot a coyote. I've missed a bunch with my bow. Um, yeah. I've tried it a couple of times and never with like a full, you know, whatever you'd call a full toolbox. You know, I'd yeah. have like the smallest, cheapest electronic little like key fob that, you know, it's not like a Fox pro with a megaphone. Um, I was using a shotgun, you know, I've used both birdshot and like slugs, but I'm like, well, I don't really have a rifle for coyotes, so I'm either going to shoot them with my 300 Win Mag or my shotgun. I don't know. Either way, it's probably going to be destroyed. And yeah. so the only time I've ever seen them is bow hunting. And ah. I need to start learning that I need to aim about eight inches under them because those <laughs> suckers are dialed. Like, they're, they hear yeah. anything and they're gone. I've had multiple shots on film where you're watching this arrow go for a perfect 40-yard heart shot, and then, then like, the last feet, it just out of there and the arrow hits yep. thin air and so They're i want to get man. into it though I, it, it looks like a blast it looks like something that you like you just like you described like this is my time off this is my fun hunting and you know you miss a coyote bummer it's not like missing a 180 inch buck you didn't see a coyote right. today eh, bummer but it's not like you went a whole season like you said and didn't have a shot opportunity on the flip side you shoot three four coyotes in a day like when did, whoever is shooting three or four deer in a day no one virtually no, no one Right, like no, you can no, rack no. up a bunch of fun trigger pulls in a short amount of time doing other things right. than deer hunting. Basically, is right. kind of the thought there, and so I've, I really want to get into it, but I have nowhere to yeah. idea where to start. So that's why I kind of thought we'd talk about today. Um, like, yeah. like what does I, I assume it's more fun in the West because you can generally see more versus sure. the East. Like, you, if like we just bought a forty acre farm here in Minnesota. We got a ton of coyotes on it. I get cell cam pictures every night of coyotes, so I want to start trapping and. You know, but I can only shoot like maybe a small lane for a hundred yards in the swamp where I've cleared out a food mm-hmm. plot. That's it. So I'm like, not really hunting that much area with, and I can't use a rifle. So I could probably use right. a rifle for coyotes. I can't <laughs> use a rifle for deer. But anyway, 
I could do it here as like a tool for my deer habitat. But if I really wanted to do coyote hunting, I'd go out west. I'd go to North Dakota, Montana, somewhere where I can see a bunch. Seems like there's more coyotes in the west. I don't know if that's true or if you just see them all the time and hear them all the time. But like assuming we're doing like a western coyote hunt, like what are like the bare minimum you someone would want to have, you know, to have a fun hunt? Maybe not like all the bells and whistles, but like you should really like try to at least get like this and that before you go. Yeah, I think, I mean, main thing, you know, um, a good rest, obviously knowing your rifle's good, right? And, right, and yeah. you can get some, you can get some inexpensive, inexpensive rifles for sure. I mean, there's, there's rifles for $400, $500 right. that are hands down fine for what you need. Right. Mm-hmm. So more, more about finding your caliber, um, and knowing just kind of what your range is, right? So if it's 300 and in, cool, you know that, you shoot that gun, you know what that drop is because coyote's a small target. Usually it's fast when things happen, so you need to be on the gun. You need to understand how to shoot that gun quickly and how to adjust to those distances. So I'm going to say definitely a rangefinder for sure, so you know your ranges on your shots. Um, number two is probably a good rest. So I shoot, uh, I do a lot with bog. Bog has a ton of different options for rest. There's Sherpa. Um, Death Grip is super nice, super small, super compact, perfect for sitting down. Um, one thing a lot of guys miss is like a good seat. Mm. Like even if it's just a blink, like a bleacher seat fold out thing, that's huge for sitting on the ground. Some guys even use like elevated chairs and actually sit up. Um, I'm super OCD, so I'm like a big hider. Like I oh, so you're like laying to, prone with some covered weaved in. <laughs> like I'm wearing like the half ghillie hoods, and yeah. I'm like, you know, like we we hide when we hunt, but I do that because we also try to shoot them as absolutely close as possible. And I don't like shooting like scared coyotes or or busted coyotes. Like it's just a personal thing for me, and it's about it's about beating them completely. You know okay. what I mean? It's kind of yeah. like ducks. Like you he didn't I mean? even like know he was ever, dead. Like he was. Yeah. Like, you know, duck hunters understand, like you want ducks that work, not like sky blasting ducks. Right. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, for sure. So it's kind of the same situation for me and coyotes, but a good hide is always good. Um, pay attention to your wind because nine times out of 10, that's what the dog's going to do. He's going to try to run the wind at some point, yeah. regardless. I've never, I mean, I can say, I can count probably on one hand how many times I've had a coyote. If you've been listening to the Western Rookie Podcast for a little bit, you know how much I love the Go Hunt Insider Service. You've heard me talk about how I use it on every single hunt I go on in the West, but you might not know I use it a lot to research different units and states and species I haven't applied for yet, just to get an idea of what's out there, how many points it would take to draw a certain tag, and kind of plan out the future of my Western hunting journey and all the dreams I have for different hunts I'd like to go on. And I've got a really big announcement for you all when it comes to researching tags. Go Hunt just released an update to their mobile app that puts filtering 2.0 into the palm of your hand. Whether you've got a couple minutes of downtime between calls and meetings, or you're just sitting on the couch at night relaxing and watching an episode, it's never been easier to do the research on Western hunts and tags. I've been using it all week to plan out this year's antelope hunt in Wyoming, and all I have to do is click the state and species I'm looking for, fill out residency and how many points I have, and then I start filtering it based on what I'm looking for in a unit. For example, success rate, trophy potential, all the things you're used to in the web app is now in your phone. And if you're not an insider yet, go over to GoHunt.com, check it out. All the tools you get with the subscription 
plus the Go Hunt app and the filtering 2.0 in the app now makes it one of the best deals you're going to find when it comes to Western hunting information. Use the code WESTERNROOKIE when you sign up, and they're going to give you $50 of gear shop credit when you become an insider. Just crashed the call that that paid no attention to the win. Yeah, and he's probably um, hungry. <laughs> yeah, like he was tricked. You know, he saw the decoy and just got, got yeah. tricked with it. But, um, yeah, so I, I think good gun, good optic, obviously, rangefinder, a good rest, a good seat. And then there's some calls like you talk about. I mean, there's you don't have to spend $800 on a call. You don't have to spend $1,000 on the call. Uh, a lot of the Fox Pro calls now are coming with pretty good sounds on them already that definitely the weekend guy could use and utilize. And yeah. he's not really pressuring his ground, could have a lot of success with um, that are inexpensive, you know, $300, things like that, that, that could get you kind of into it. Um, and then the biggest thing is just finding an area that's that's – got some pretty good population coyotes on it right? right so for me what what i always look for here is is livestock typically um and not just because of livestock like cows obviously when they're calving and things like that there's a lot of afterbirth and things like that out there for the coyotes to eat but but it's more about um pasture ground and grass ground um if you've ever gone out at night and thermal hunted or anything like that, you'll notice that you see a ton more mice, rabbits, birds, things like that, that live in that ecosystem of a good grass platform or, a good, you know, a good grass on the ground, not okay. like a crop ground situation kind of oh, thing. Oh, I see what you're saying. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, you're in Missouri, so you're in yeah. like mixed egg, right? Some of it's, Absolutely. Ab- some of it's pasture land, some of it's row crop. Um, Absolutely. So you're just saying like, Hey, the row crop stuff, you know, well, first of all, like standing corn, good luck. Right. Yeah, I know. It's not happening. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. if it's plowed, good luck. I mean, there's not, there's just yeah. going to be nothing there. It's a wasteland. So you got like right. this fine window where there might be a lot of animal, like, and yeah, pick corn. There might be a ton of mice and squirrels and everything Absolutely. in there, but you get one week, you know, one week to, exactly. and the people are deer hunting then. So they're like, no, you're not coyote hunting my land. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, that makes and, sense. And cattle farmers typically hate coyotes anyway, because of them right. harassing cattle and things like that. So that's usually something you look for. Now go farther West, like Western Kansas, where I hunt out there, there's a ton of CRP. It's all grass pretty much. And right. eggs pretty hard to find, but the population's a lot thicker out there because of that. It can support that much more food for a coyote to eat. And yeah. I think that's why your population is so much higher out there. Um, but those are things to look for in Missouri. It's crucial, crucial to find really good ground because yeah, there's coyotes everywhere, but there's definitely some like pockets of just crazy numbers of coyotes. And that's kind of what we utilize here just because it's so mixed and diverse here. There you go. So it sounds like, you know, obviously the gun and being able to put the bullet where you want, like, just forget about everything else that you got to be able to put a, a projectile where you want, no matter what you're hunting. Absolutely. So absolutely. Um, that's a given, but there is a little bit of nuance with that, right? Like, for example, I have two rifles. One of them is a hundred year old single shot 22 about this long that I would be <laughs> like a great trapping rifle, right? right? I could just walk up and, and a 300 wing mag that weighs about 13 pounds mm-hmm. Those are, because I don't coyote hunt and I only elk yeah. hunt and, you know, and I've shot an antelope with it when I had to, but. I don't have, I mean, maybe I have to turn in my sportsman's card, but I had an AR and I sold it. I just never used it. I, w- right. I kind of regret it now, but at the time I needed the 500 bucks. And so, 
it's something I want to get, but it just seems like there's always that thing, right? Well, I want an AR, but I need a snowblower for the tractor. Or I want an AR, but I need the, you know what I mean? So I don't have that perfect coyote gun. So if I was to pick a gun, I would say the easy choice is 223, right? Like that's the, like, didn't put any thought into it, just get a 223. But there's yep. more to it than that, right? Like what would you yeah. say are like maybe like the the Cadillac of calibers for a varmint gun? So what I shoot is a six millimeter Creedmoor. Okay. Not a six five. It's a six millimeter Creedmoor. It's a hundred and three grain bullet. Uh, Hornady makes them. You can buy the factory load precision hunter uh, sure. or the hundred rounds ELDX. Great bullet. Um, that gun. I have two of them. I shoot my day gun and my night gun are built exactly the same. So Just is that gonna be like slightly smaller than a two forty three? Yeah, it's like a hopped up 243, essentially a little faster, 30 cal bullet, longer bullet. Um, so you get a lot better flight and a lot more consistent flight okay. down range. Um, I really like the six for coyotes because it handles the wind well. Okay. And it has a very good knockdown power at 300 and beyond if you're shooting over a hundred grain bullet. So it holds a pretty good, you know, pretty good force for that. You go to 223s, 22, 250s, things like that you start really falling off when you start getting out to 300 yards sure. with effectiveness. Um, not to mention that the wind buck is just horrible on them. Yeah. Um, so if you get to places like Kansas, things like that, where you have a, you know, a 10 mile an hour wind out in Kansas is not wind. It's like, Oh, the wind's not blowing today. If it's 10 miles an hour, right. Like 30s normal. So when you start shooting small bullets like that out there, man, it really starts blowing that bullet right, left a lot. So, um, we went to a heavier bullet with the six millimeter and it's just been phenomenal for what we're doing, especially at nighttime. Um, I've hunted with a lot of guys that shoot ARs, shoot 223s, and I can't tell you how many coyotes carry that bullet, what we call carry the bullet where they'll run with it. Uh, so you won't really drop them. You'll hit them. They'll run for a while. They may die eventually, but they're going to run with it. Oh. Um, shooting a little, you know, shooting a little bigger bullet helps with that, but especially at night, because what guys don't realize in thermals are, say you'll call in two coyotes and you shoot one and you'll go to the other one and you'll shoot it and you come back and this coyote's gone. You didn't watch it's not like day. Yeah, yeah. It's not like daytime where like you can just see him get up. You know what I mean? If you're not in your gun. So you want to make sure at nighttime you're shooting a big enough bullet, you're going to drop him there and he's not going to tow it out of there. And so the one thing that I would be worried about, and I don't even know if it's real, but the way I would think about it, what I've heard with coyotes or varmints, like if you're hunting for the, the hide, um, especially as you want a bullet that's like an extreme expansion tip. So it's going in and it's expanding so much that it doesn't come out at all. There's no exit hole. And that, so you have one pinprick hole in the hide, um, and that's it. And you obviously get to 23 with a 40 grain, you know, expansion tip or frag tip that's going to like mm -hmm. break apart. It's going to be perfect for that. With a, you know, my first thought was like with a hundred grain, are you, you're probably typically getting pass throughs then, right? Depends on where you shoot them. Yeah, if you long them, if you shoot them through the rib cage, yeah, yeah you'll get a pass through for sure. Um, so then, do you, shoulders. Are you getting a little bit of like hide damage on the backside then? Yeah, but not much. You not know, as much as uh, you'd expect. Yeah, I would say a quarter. Okay. Hole, oh, maybe. that's not that bad. But now, yeah, but now if you're, you know, there's there's ones like I've shot a lot of bobcats close, and if I shoot them in the chest, the bullet won't come out. It'll stay in. Really. But if I if say say I got like a quarter on them and they're kind of quartering to me or whatever, and I go in that shoulder blade, then it'll blow a pretty good hole in the side of them. Ooh. So you kind of got to make sure you keep that expansion, you know. But you're also, when you're talking shooting bobcats, I mean, it's 
usually within 50 yards. So, because they just, yeah, they typically can just work in on you to where you don't see each other. Yeah, man, it's a, yo, they're so sneaky. Yeah. They'll get in on you and you won't even know it. So, you know, a a lot of times it's within a hundred for sure on a, on a bobcat a lot before they just don't like being out in the open. They're not like a dog. And you're sitting there, you know, looking for motion because that's what you, your eyes naturally look for when you're crowd hunting because that's what usually comes in. They come in fast and hard. Yeah. Past the the bobcat that's sneaking and heck he's, we've had bobcats get to the call and three of us not even see it. How close is the closest you've had, like either a bobcat or a coyote? Uh, like I mean, a, at night, like measuring in feet or yeah, like at night we had one run in between us and we were within five feet of each other. So there's a coyote that ran like two and a half feet by you. Yeah, right in between us. Yeah, and you one didn't? Did you not night. know it was coming? Like it came from behind no, you or something? No, it came in with a three pack and we shot two of them and it didn't know where to run. So I think oh, it was so just it's trying just to get out of there. Yeah, it went right in between it. Did you try Absolutely. to shoot him as he went by at like two feet? <laughs> no, because we couldn't swing towards it because it's, you know. Well, yeah, right. But like as he's coming in, like quartering yeah, was, at 10. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was chaos. It was chaos. But uh, swung back around, yeah. And uh, we didn't end up getting it killed either. It got out of there before we hit a brush or hit a fence line and got through it. But. Yeah, it, I mean, there's some close stuff. Bobcats, I, I've had some bobcats get, I mean, within 15, probably, uh, 15 yards or so where we were sitting on like a fence row and they come up it and you'll just look over and they're sitting right on the edge looking at the call, like 15 yards down the edge from you. And just then, sitting there watching it. And there's nothing you can, I mean, you try to swing, nothing. they're going to leave. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you just got to let it, you hope, you know, you hope the cat would work on out towards the call and you can kind of get behind it and make the move, but. Nine times out of ten, cats watch more than they move, so it's it's tough once they get to that close. You know what I mean? And do they? I mean, is that cat gonna like duck into the fence row and and follow that out, or is he gonna run across the prairie? Where you, I mean, if you were a good enough shot, you could hit him on the run. If they run, I, I've had some that boogered that have gone out in the open, and man, if they do, they're they're hustling. I mean, they're they're not like a coyote. Like a coyote will kind of lope, but he may even mm. turn around and look a lot of times. Like a cat's gone, like he is burning if yeah. he goes. But typically, they use cover. They're they're one of the sneakiest animals. I mean, there's a lot of cats out there, at least in Missouri, and you don't see them very often just because of that. They're... This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. What makes a Steelhead Outdoors gun safe stand out, aside from being the only American-made fire-insulated modular gun safe on the market, is the fact that you can customize your safe to be the perfect fit for you. Whether you pick one of the fan-favorite colors inspired by our national parks or one of the nearly 1,000 custom colors they offer, your safe is going to be perfect. You can even get a safe in a rust color where they actually make the metal rust to just the right level and then they seal it so you always have a perfectly rustic looking safe. And that's just on the outside. When it comes to the inside, you can configure it all kinds of different ways by adding panels to the door, using shelves on half to organize ammo, or even adding their motion-activated light kit. I went with their brand new Recon 32 line in the awesome tactical looking black and white. And I currently have my safe set up with lawn guns on half and shelves on the other side so I can store all of my ammo and I love it. But the best part is it's completely modular. So as your firearm collection grows, you can configure your steelhead outdoor safe to match. 
Check out steelheadoutdoors.com to build your custom safe. And use the code WESTERNROOKIE, one word, WESTERNROOKIE, to save $150 on your Steelhead Outdoors safe. Just, they're sneaky. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so what happens when you get a coyote on the ground? First of all, I've heard that they pretty much all have fleas. So a lot of times people don't like pick them up right away. I haven't, you know, I haven't really ran into fleas with foxes. I have foxes are usually pretty horrible with fleas. Um, coyotes, I haven't really ran into too many. Can you see, like, are fleas big enough? I've never really experienced fleas. Can you see them with your naked eye, like in daylight before you pick Mm -hmm. it up? You're like, oh, that one's got fleas. Like, I better get the drag rope out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You can kind of look at them and see. Yeah. Yeah. But you get a coyote, you recover it, you dump them in his tracks. You're like, all right, we're bailing out of here. You know, we waited. Or maybe after you shoot one, is it the gig up then? That spot's kind of burnt for the day, you know? Uh, No. Uh, you know, uh, we'll sometimes we'll go back to that spot like that evening. Okay. Um, if we're say, we're, say we're making a run and we're going around, we may try to come back into it from a different angle if we have it with, with wind and do a different set. We won't go back to that exact same spot unless it's just like a – hands down awesome spot that you can get into really clean and we feel like we've got other options that you could call dogs into but um a lot of times we'll come back to to spots if we blank them so like if we go and we call them and we don't kill the dog there and we know it's a really good spot and there's a good population there we'll let it rest for a couple hours maybe through the midday or whatever and then go back or if we're at night time we'll go hit you know three or four more spots and then come back to that spot a lot of times dogs will hear you especially at night They'll hear the call, but they'll be so far away or they'll be doing something else and just kind of keep it in the back of their mind. And then they, they swing that direction at some point to get back in that area. But if you pull a trigger, like there's no sense waiting a half hour more and see if what else comes. It's like, yeah, hey, we shot. Probably not. Like we've done this enough. It's not worth our time. We're better off spent going to do a spot. Depends. On, yeah. It depends on what you're doing, right? Like if we're in a tournament, yeah, absolutely. We're going to keep moving as much as possible just because we want to do as much fresh sets as possible because we're trying to stack up as many coyotes as we can in this a lot of time. If it's just a fun hunt, um, I'll soak some sets. I mean, I, we'll do, there's been a lot of times that we've called coyotes within 10 minutes and shot one and then have shot either a cat or a coyote in 20 minutes after that. Are you using set. suppressors? Like yeah, yeah. Okay. So if you're not using a yeah. suppressor, it's probably even worse chances of probably, calling in that yeah. next one. I think you're going to have more of a shock value with them. Um, yeah. It's just like deer. You know, you can watch a field full of deer, and if a guy shoots a gun that's a little ways away, they're not really caring. But if somebody shoots a gun in that field, it's going to kind of move them off of it. Right, right, Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's. I think it's kind of that same situation, right? Like yeah. you disturb more area if you're not shooting suppressed. So whatever that cone may be, say for instance, 500 yards. Okay, for 500 yards, you alerted everything that there's yeah. something boom in that area. Um, I'm not going to say there's never, you know, and just like in whitetail hunting, there's never a, a 100% answer on it. Hard and fast rule. They do, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do dumb stuff, but. But yeah, I mean, the ideal is to be calling fresh stuff as much as possible. Sure. Uh, you know, if you can. Sure. So you get a coyote, you're done hunting. You may, I don't know, hit four or five spots, got a coyote or two. What do you do with your coyotes at that point? Do you do anything with the fur? Are you selling them? Is it in the round or on the hoof or whatever it's called? Like you just pick them up by the tail and put them in a guy's truck and he gives you some money. Are you keeping them? Like, what are you doing with them? 
So a lot of times, if they if they have a good good hide on them, we'll go ahead and skin them out. Okay. Um, it's tough to find a good hide uh, for us. It, usually, we have pretty good mange going on with them. Um, if they are busted up at all with the gun, like if they've got giant holes, things like that, obviously we'll we'll just pitch them. But um, for the most part, it's just about controlling the population. That's the end all be all for what we're trying to do out there. And, sure. And uh, that's why thermal's so fun for us because we can really stack them that time of the year and and do some real damage on the population as much as possible nice okay i've i imagine i would probably have a little bit better time with just overall fur because i'm 500 miles north of you mm-hmm. so that you know the cows with mange don't probably make it very well through the winter absolutely and so yeah. like you know i've already seen pictures where they i mean they're looking fluffy they're not looking like summer coyotes anymore we haven't had like super brutal winter yet but um you know so that part would probably be a little easier so then once you're skinning them are you then then you're just drying them and if it's if it's a good hide do you keep them just for fun in like a collection like i've got a wall of antlers behind me i never sell any of them um mm-hmm. or are you selling them off like part of like hey we're no. paying for gas money with these no 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 i i keep all mine okay. i don't sell them off at all huh i uh i mean the ones we keep i either i'll either mount them i've got a bunch of dead hang mounts um that are just look like a coyote hanging by its foot. Um, so like, I have some of those like, like stuffed or just a hide. Yeah. No, it's stuffed. Yeah. It's a full mounted uh, coyote, but just hanging by oh, its that's foot. Sweet. So like, yeah, yeah. Like it's you, like you really shot cool. one hung on a fence post where you did something Absolutely. else. hundred percent. Yep. 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 And it's kind of a cool way you can show off, you know, four or five of them, whatever, kind of along your mantle or in a corner on a post or whatever. Um, it's really hard to find a good taxidermist that can do coyotes well. Yeah, but uh, a lot of them can do them like that because you're not, you know, I mean, the face is down for the most part. It's not so much emphasis on the face and the posture of the animal. So uh, I like it a lot better. I I don't know, it's just a cool way for us to kind of show them. Yeah, well, and, first uh, and for hang sure. Them a different way. Okay, but you must have a lot of coyote fur around, yeah. like just quite a few in the shop yeah. or in the garage or in the house. I mean, shooting in the house, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we keep quite a few of them. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of them that get pitched, but it's mainly, it's like I said, because of mange and things like that, that we, yeah. it's just tough to find a good hide nowadays for us, it seems like. So you do, do you um, do any of the just hide yourself? Obviously, like the taxidermist and the mount, that takes a special skill. A lot of people don't have it. You could always learn it. But like for just the hide, are you just drying that yourself and tanning it yourself no. or you're having them taxidermists do that too i have taxidermists tan them yeah okay, send them off and tan them not worth your time I do the same thing with bobcats too yeah. um that i don't mount we'll yeah. just have them tanned up okay cool i was just curious because it you know i've heard that coyotes especially the farther west you go are worth more you know, more and more the farther away, you bigger, better for, I don't know what the difference is. You know, west of the Missouri is, I think, the real dividing line, it seems, from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. And there's people yeah. that are stacking up, like, dollar bills from these. Oh, sucker. yeah. Like, I've, it changes with the market, but I've heard people say, like, yeah, right now, coyotes in the round are going for, like, 80 bucks out here. I'm like, $80 yeah. for these things? Holy crap. Face for your like equipment. Good ones. Fast. Yeah. Yeah, good ones. Good one's so good. Bobcats are the same, you know. A good bobcat will sell it. Now it's tough to find the size and yeah. kind of you kind of got to. It's kind of got to be a perfect, you know, medium of everything, size and and fur quality and all that and color. Yeah, I've heard like high alpine bobcats for whatever reason just have a different fur that's super valuable. 
Um, yeah. I heard on, I don't know where I heard it from, but yeah, like this person sold a, a bobcat for a thousand dollars because it was yeah. way up in the Alpine and it, it had like, um, not only like great fur and everything you talked about, but the pattern itself was unique as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, they're bigger and stuff. And so I was right. like, wow, geez, man, I can't imagine trap. I mean, trappings, obviously, if you wanted to make money f- in the fur business, trapping oh, is yeah. a lot more controlled. You're not putting huge bullet holes through them. Um, right. So I don't know. I'm kind of mixed between both. I mean, obviously I'm not going to trap out West. That would be like a weekend trip with the rifle, but, but it seems like it's just something fun to do. Um, there's not a lot going on this time of year, especially in the West February. You know, I'm typically shed hunting here by then mm-hmm. in the West. Most of the States have laws. Now you can't start till April, May, somewhere in that time anyway. Plus the, you know, Western animals don't drop as early and there's a ton of snow. So there's like, you know, three double whammies of why you aren't shed hunting February, March out West. So there's really nothing to do out there. And then, um, seems like a great time to, you know, go do something fun and you're helping the herds. Like every, I got to imagine almost every species benefits, like every hoofed species that we like to hunt in the fall benefits when there's not as many coyotes. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you see instant, you see instant results. So if you hit an area with coyotes that year, say you hit them in, in February, March, your fawn ratio to survival, you know, of that very next year comes back and you'll just notice that you have that many more fawns just in white-tailed deer alone. You have that many more right. fawns that make it through that immediate year after yeah, uh, before those coyotes can pup and regenerate their population back up. You get a, you get a good year in there. You know what I mean? A good jump right. on them to where the deer actually get a chance to get back on their feet if you have a low declining deer population or things like that. Same way with anything else, right? Turkeys, upland birds, any of that stuff, rabbits, all that stuff. It gives them a pretty much a spring off where there's less coyotes. Right. I mean, most like turkeys, rabbits, pheasants, all that stuff, like they're going to get, um, they're going to have issues with predation their whole life. All the whole life. But a deer, <laughs> once they hit adulthood, like unless things go wrong, they're usually safe from like coyotes. You know, they'll for sure in the wintertime, yeah, and the more snow, the worse it gets. But, like, I don't think a lot of deer are getting killed by a coyote healthy in the summer. Not, no. Adult deer, no. Right. No, even in the winter, I don't I don't believe. You know, Unless I mean, you get, like, extreme here, snow and, like, yarding and sickness. I, whatever. The things right. can stack up, and eventually a coyote can get lucky. And Yeah, Absolutely. but a healthy adult deer, probably pretty no. rare that they're having issues with that. Um, yeah. so it's like, you just give them like this quick little burst and then they're safe. And then once they're safe, they start, I mean, and then it's a numbers game, right? Like we're dropping a yeah. hundred fawns a year and the coyotes can eat 20. Well, they're going to eat 20, whether there's 20 dropped or a hundred dropped. So if you only drop <laughs> right. 20, they eat them all. If you drop a right. hundred, 80 of them survived. I mean, it's like simple right. math. And if you take out those coyotes, now they're only eating 10, like either way, both situations are better off. So absolutely, I think it's going to be something that I want to work into my fall. The What we got going on here is super interesting. So there's a, I have a 40. Our block is like 300 and everyone's houses are on the outside of it, you know, with deep lots. And so it's all like country lots. Like everybody's got like 10 acres. Well, on the backside, one of the ladies has like a, she's a DNR orphanage, like a certified orphanage for animals. So she can take anything in Minnesota except moose and black bears. And so every year she takes in all these fawns that their mothers get killed on the highway or something. And she raises them and she's got like a five foot. I don't, I haven't met her. 
I've called her, asked her if she had coyotes in her orphanage because we hear packs. Of, like I've heard lots of coyotes before. It's definitely at least six. Wow. Like you can hear like, like it'll be like two straight minutes of like constant yips over each other. Like I've never heard, like I've heard onesie, twosie, three. This is like a chorus of coyotes. It's in, incredible. I'm like, she's got to have like 20 coyotes in a fence or something that like that's mm-hmm. what's making this noise. And she's like, no, I don't have any coyotes. I have 40 foxes, but I don't have any coyotes. And I'm like, uh-oh, this ain't good. Like, that's a lot of coyotes. I can hear them from my windows in my bed sometimes. That's how close they are. Wow. Yeah. And so, but she apparently, like, she'll take in, like, 30 to 40 fawns throughout the year. And as soon as they get big enough in, like, September to jump her five-foot fence, they're kind of just, you know, eventually they'd all jump out and leave and don't come back. And, well, I'm guessing that's a huge part of why there's so many coyotes in my in my 40s because right. there's 40 stupid fawns not to be <laughs> stupid but like they weren't raising the wild like they their mothers right. died they're bottle fed they like they don't understand danger the same way and i'm sure those coyotes just it's like the china buffet for them they oh yeah it has to be and it's all this all takes place about 100 yards from my food plot <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> and so i think that's why we have a lot of them here so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to do what i can to help out like you said because i just like the thought of owning a 40 and living on it and like hunting it and turning it into this dream farm, you know, you hear 12 coyotes at once. You're like, Oh, that's not part of my dream. (laughs) That was not not part of the plan. Yeah. Not ideal. So, so I want to try that, but I think what's really fun is going out West. Like I have a, an acquaintance that we used to pheasant hunt with and he's in Montana, just like one of the most, not only well-rounded, but also like highest quality sportsmen, like, Everything he does, like, he seems like he's successful. He probably, if he was on the podcast, but it's not even close to true. But you, when you're following the <laughs> updates on Facebook and Instagram, like, I was shooting nice bucks, huge bowls, like, having a blast, like, super well-rounded sportsman. And him and his son went out one weekend and shot 58 coyotes. And I'm like, Jeez. oh, my gosh. I mean, they had a flatbed trailer full of them. It was in- insane. And yeah. like obviously that's a fluke. It's probably they probably didn't sleep for forty eight straight hours and had like <laughs> the world's best land. But but still like just to see like to shoot like two in a day to me would be amazing. I've never shot one, and so that's why yeah. I wanted like it'd be fun to like work in a, like a three day trip out west and and just have fun. You're out in the you know nothing else to do this time of year, and so that's right. what I was trying to kind of get into it a little bit and have a fun topic, bring it up as a podcast topic like. There's a lot of opportunity in the West, and it's not all from September to December. Like, you can you can go out and scope out maybe a unit you're going to hunt this year and bring a coyote rifle and shoot some coyotes and, you know, help the deer herd while you're at it. And, you're you know, you're at least learning the roads, the canyons. You can take note of stuff, maybe find a shed, an old shed. Um, can't pick it up, I suppose, with most of the state's laws. But, <laughs> but, yeah, I just figured it'd be a sweet thing to talk about this time of year. Yeah, I mean anything to get you out in the woods and works on your woodsmanship, and I mean that's all—it's all still the same game, right? It's just a different, different adversary, and uh, yeah, I, I think you know you're keeping the wind, you're and all these things. It's just like calling whitetails. It's just like calling turkey. Well, not calling turkeys all the way—they can't smell, but those things are the. All of us whitetail hunters have experienced that feeling of frustration when a deer blows and busts you. There's no faster way to wreck a hunt than when a deer catches your scent, and that's why I've started hunting out of Booner Blinds by Maverick. The ability to keep the windows closed and my scent under control allows me to hunt winds I normally wouldn't due to fear of getting busted. Just this last year, I had a nice 10-pointer walk 40 yards downwind of me, and he never even raised his head to check my scent. 
Maverick hunting blinds can also help you keep the pressure down on your farm so you can keep sitting that stand when you have a hit lister on a pattern and be ready when he finally steps out. Click the link below and head over to maverickhunting.com and use the code WESTERNROOKIE, that's one word, WESTERNROOKIE, to save 10% on your next blind. Same kind of setups, and yeah. you utilize a lot of that, and a lot of that comes across platforms. Yeah. With um, the one thing I liked about when we talked about bullets is I've always got this dilemma because I'm I'm like a tool person. Like, I don't collect firearms. Um, I don't like, oh, I got an extra thousand bucks. I'm going to buy a new gun. I, I've never been that guy. My family just really hasn't been that guy. I've been shooting the same shotgun since I turned 12. Um, mm-hmm. And so I have tools. Like, I have an elk rifle. I have a whitetail bow. I have a bird shotgun. Like, I don't have doubles of anything. And the, the, where it becomes an issue is the rifle. Like, how do you, if you're going to invest in a rifle and, and nice optics, it's like, well, I'd, I'd love it. It needs to handle elk. Like, that's a requirement. I'm going elk hunting, like, every year. Right. It'd be sweet if it could handle moose. You know, deer, for sure. Like, I'm going to use this for deer. But then what happens when antelope comes around? Well, if you got a rifle for moose, it's not a good rifle for an antelope. You know, right. same thing with the cow. But what what I liked about the 6 millimeter is that I feel like that would be a pretty perfect antelope rifle i mean based on what we talked about like 243 is usually the gold standard if it's a hopped up 243 should be no reason why it wouldn't be a great antelope rifle too right absolutely yeah it's way flatter shooting i shoot that's what i shoot my deer with uh when i rifle hunt deer i shoot my six millimeter as well i shoot the same gun oh really it's yeah same bullet and everything i mean it does phenomenal what would be like your comfortable like range on a like a mule deer with that bullet where you're like no issues at all i can put the bullet where it needs to be every time the energy is perfect you know because eventually like one or two of those things are just going to start falling off the wagon right well yeah bullet might not i could hit 10 but the bullet might not have the energy i'd like at 1200 yards or what you know what i mean whatever it is right yeah i think for me it's probably 350 i mean i can shoot four i can shoot the gun out to six right well i know it there um with my turrets and things but 350 is pretty much that's my confidence i mean that's where i feel most with the bullet performing especially when you're talking into a deer yeah um we've shot a couple deer here in missouri at like 320 330 and it does well um but the bullet definitely you can tell loses power um with you know you almost don't get a pass through out of it um i mean it gets into the cavity well you just have to stay off of the shoulder yeah i would uh you know just to be safe but yeah 350 no problem at all um, out of that bullet by any means. Okay. So for like if you're in a controlled situation, like like I used to do a lot of West River whitetail hunting. I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically you're in a little bit more controlled environment. You're like, you know, I'm on a bluff. There's this river valley. Like this is where right. the deer is going to be. It's 200 to this side, 300 to the far side. Like, yeah, one could be somewhere else, but probably going to be here. Or in, like, food right. plots. Like, you know, our food plot's 200 yards. It's, I'm shooting this field that's 200. Like controlled environments. Great gun. You're doing, like, a super intense mountain mule deer hunt. It's like, I don't know. <clears> like <throat> it could be a 400-yard shot. could be a quartering two at four. I mean, lots of variables could stack up. Would you maybe switch it out that for, like, that situation and, and take a different rifle? I don't know because I'm so comfortable with that caliber. It's just that like it's you tough. just – I know where this I, bullet's going to go. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've pulled some pretty magical 
rabbits out of the head. Like I shot a, a coyote at seven twenty eight with it at night in a thermal. Like oh, wow. uh, I shot a coyote. I've shot multiple coyotes at over four hundred with it uh, right. in a thermal and in regular in my day scope as well. Um, I just, but I, I know the caliber. I'm kind of like you are. I don't have a ton of guns, um, but the one gun I have, I spend a lot of time with. Sure. And so it's super tough for me to go up a caliber. You know, I'm even, <laughs> I'm kind of, I think if I went on a rifle elk hunt, I'd probably take it and I'd try to lung burn one and just, just do the ribs. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I, I feel more confident with that than to take a big caliber gun and shoot it through the shoulder. You know, I, am I right? Wrong. I don't know, but that's just how I feel about it. I, I do both. I, I take a giant caliber and then I try to double lung them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, that's, you get into that stuff and it's a preference thing. The biggest thing is just one you're comfortable with, right? Yeah. Like one, you know, and that gun I love because, you know, even if you're dead on at a hundred yards with it, you're six inches low at 300. Okay. So, so you know, I go up, I shoot two and a half inches high at a hundred. Yeah. And then I'm about four inches low at 300. So I can go top of the coyotes back essentially and, and be fine at 300. I would rather aim low close than have to aim super high far. Oh, so you're not, sense. you're not doing any type of dialing. No, I'm not dialing, especially like out of the thermal and stuff. No, it's all holdovers because you just don't have the time. You just don't have the time. You just don't have – it's dark. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, thermals would be a challenge. Do they have any, like, first focal plane thermals? No. No, so it's a different game. Yeah, you have to learn your – like, you have to pick your reticle, which is cool because you can go through and pick your own reticles and things. So I pick my reticles with my holdovers and things like that to where I kind of know what dot and I've shot it enough to know the dot and I can do the math in my brain to know, okay, he's three thirty. It's going to be about five inches low. Let's play it five inches high and we'll be good to go on the holdover kind of thing. Oh, so you don't have like that dot is that's my 200 dot, my 400 dot, my. Sometimes it lines up that way. Well, even, or like that's my, that, that dot's two seventy five. this dot's three forty. you know what I mean? Like you don't have just a number in your mind. You're just doing no, like huh. a drop and you're like, ah, you know, six inches over a coyote's back's like the same as his like whatever length of his nose or whatever. And we're going to hold Yeah, it. his eye height, like his eye, put it as eye height essentially or his eye, eyeball height. And oh, I suppose, yeah. So you're doing like it. top of the ears, top of the yeah. head, eye, mm-hmm. chin, yeah. shoulder. Yeah. Is yeah. it pretty much just... you hit him in the front half, you get him? If you shoot a hundred grain bullet, yeah. If you if you shoot a hundred grain bullet, okay. <laughs> I mean that's just it though. I, I mean that's what I say. Like you go you go shooting like a forty five grainer or fifty five grainer. Like if you don't hit him perfect, he will carry the bullet and run with it. Yeah, like that's that's another whole. And thing nobody wants it, that. Nobody wants. No, that. no, that's the worst. Yeah. So, do you ever intentionally like put a bullet like in in the like the head or? If they're like close enough, like so, if the fur with the fur like in mind, like that's where I'd be like, hey, this is a fifty-yard shot. Like I can pick the hair I'm gonna hit, and I want to mm-hmm. keep the hide. Like maybe you can look at, maybe it's broad daylight. You're like, that's a beautiful coyote. Like it's fifty yards. Like I'm gonna blow through this thing unless I put this bullet right where it needs to be. Would you ever do like if I shoot it in the head? Which I mean, this is a hunting podcast. It's a farm. Like get over that aspect of it. Like you're gonna yeah. have a better hide at the end of the day. Would you ever... Maybe, but you also could destroy the face. 
Oh, because it's the face part of the hide that you really like to keep? Yeah. Oh, because you're saying, like, you're going to hit that bone, and then the bone's going to grenade. Yeah. It's gonna, uh, yeah. So you're almost just better shrap- not. You'd shrapnel. almost be better to just do the same double lung, try to put two tiny holes in it. Um, yeah, I'm telling you, the best thing for saving hide is just shooting lung. Stay off the shoulder and just put one right through the lungs, like right through the rib cage, and you'll be all right. A lot of times you get the full frontal on a coyote, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then are you trying to hit that little pocket where there's, like, no bones, like the full frontal yeah. elk shot that everyone talks Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, like on a whitetail, like where the esophagus goes in to yeah. the front of the chest. Yeah, you try to hit that. That way, like I said, I've done that with with bobcats, and and they have, uh, I mean, absolutely taken it, not had any blowout at all. And you, I mean, there's a some a couple of bobcats I've shot. I literally couldn't even tell where I hit them. Yeah, like it's just no, nope, it's just a little them. entry. Yeah, right. <laughs> Heart attack. You reach, you're like reaching down, like moving them, and I'm like, "There's no blood. Like, hope this thing doesn't come to life and rip my arm off." Yeah, you you like went, you missed terribly, and you gave him like a yeah. concussion with the concussion, airway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my gosh, I can't imagine a worse. I think I would rather take a coyote 100%. in close quarters Whoa. than a bobcat. One hundred percent. Yes. Like they're both Absolutely. gonna mess you up with their teeth, but at yes, least the coyotes' it... claws are basically worthless yeah like you could like the coyote all you have to do is get a hold of his mouth right like yeah, the which bobcat's is gonna suck gonna, i mean that's gonna yeah, still suck it is but <laughs> the bobcat's got four claws that it's gonna grab a hold of you to where you can't get rid that of are it. razor like, blades yeah like that thing latches i mean have you seen the, the house cat videos i've seen attacking people are horrible well my brother <laughs> so my brother imagine. loves to say this but he's you know when everyone like the there's a the hiker in Colorado that got attacked oh, by the yeah. mountain lion and killed him with a rock. And then the yeah. story comes out that it was like a 45 pound juvenile and everyone's like, ah, it's not that tough anymore. He's not that <laughs> much of a man. My brother's like, try go giving your 12 pound cat a bath yeah. and then see what you think about fighting a 45 pound wild animal. Dude. Yeah. I'm going to tell you one thing I'd never have said before in real life. Well, not probably on a podcast ever before is the one thing that scares me more than anything in the world is a mountain lion. Oh really? Like they're just they're just wicked, dude. They hunt you like they kill for fun, and I can't help but think that once they got a hold of you, there's no getting away. So me and my brother, we elk hunt every year. We're typically archery elk hunting, so we've run into grizzly country. We've seen right. our group has seen mountain lions. We've seen it all, and so everyone like this last year went to Colorado. So more mountain lions than you know. The farther southwest you get, the mountain the cats go up compared to like. Montana, Wyoming. They're still there, but there's a lot more of them. And so yeah. I sent my uh, one of the guys in our group was especially worried about cats. And so I sent them the picture of that mountain lion that Derek Wolf shot in Colorado. I don't know if you've seen this thing. Mm-hmm. This thing is massive. massive. This thing's head is like this big. I mean, Derek Wolf really? was a he's a pro, I'm pretty sure he's a Pro Bowler. He's a D lineman from the NFL. Like he's huge. He's like six yeah. eight, and he's doing the whole cat pose. The cat's as big as he is. Like oh. it's not like some five foot six guy or girl. Holding the cat that's as big as them. This guy's a monster human being. And this cat is huge. Like a 250-pound Tom. This thing's massive. So I sent a picture to him the night before we left. (laughs) 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 Because me and my brother, we take the stance that we're not going to be afraid of cats. We're not afraid of cats. We don't do anything in cat country. We don't carry pistols or spray for cats. Because we're like, if you have a cat problem, you'll never know it. You'll never know. That's it. You'll be be dead before you knew you had a cat problem. And so we're 100%. like, eh, no worries, you know, no, we're not worth worrying about that. Either way, we're not right. going to have anything to do about it. It's going to jump up on us, have its mouth around our neck. 
we're going to fight for like three seconds and be gone. Yeah. Like yeah, grizzly bears, yeah, we prep for scary. grizzly bears. We don't prep right. for mountain lions. Yeah, that's what makes them scary. Like, they just literally just hunt you. Like, imagine, you're, you're just, uh, imagine if you were like you and your buddy, you're laying on a bluff in like the grass, like you're in Montana, North Dakota, Wyoming, and you're hunting and you're shooting. And you like, you or your buddy goes and gets like the decoy and the coyote and he's walking back and he just sees that head like right <laughs> over you. You know, like, like just yeah, five yeah. feet behind you. And there's nothing he can do. He's 50 nope. yards away. And the key yeah. just watches it. Like, you would never know. No. No yeah. clue. Yeah. Can't mess with them, man. Yeah, I suppose most people not... typically don't coyote hunt areas where there's a lot of cats. But, like, the Badlands, there's cats in the Badlands. Like, South Dakota, North Dakota, oh, yeah. like, some of the Dakota's best coyote hunting grounds got mountain lions in it. All the yeah, time. I mean, we have them here. Like, there's been sightings here. They've been confirmed here, you know, multiple ones. But, like, we've always talked, we always joke about it. I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do if we ever call a coyote or call a buck or call a mountain lion in at night. Like, because that's when it would probably be because they're so dang elusive. But, like, I don't know. I would, I don't know. I'd be terrified. <laughs> well, you probably, just, you're probably not supposed to shoot it. No, you can't. Well, it depend. Yeah. I think every state probably depends. Like in well, Texas, you probably could shoot it because it's probably not considered a game animal. Right. Like yeah, how, Missouri, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. So Missouri, you can't. Unless they're attacking you. And I don't think fifty yards at your decoy is <laughs> self defense. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can pull that off. No. I would probably just start. I'd stand up. I. You definitely wouldn't want to lose your night vision. That's what I'm saying. You got to stay in the scope, man. You and can't. I would make as much noise as humanly possible. I'd be yelling at this yeah. thing, screaming at this thing, and I'd be watching it. And if it doesn't turn around, yeah, it would start to be self-defense really fast. Yeah, it just adds to it being at nighttime. Like you have two options: either you stay in your thermal and keep an eye on it, or you abandon the thermal and run for it and into the darkness. I don't you know think I would I mean? run. Like, I don't think I would I, abandon the thermal and run. I may I could, keep the no. thermal and run backwards as fast as I can, but I would keep <laughs> right. my eyes on that sucker. Oh yeah, dude. There's no way. Yeah. I think uh, if <laughs> most mountain lions, especially in Missouri, you start talking and it knows you're a human, it's gone. Gone, yeah. If you're in, like, the Bob Marshall, it's like, ooh, a human. This Mm -hmm. looks like an easy lunch. Because we really are. I mean, a a 150-pound cat versus us, like, not a chance. No, no. If you really, like, if you took guns and bows out of the equation, like, I'll give you a knife. You'll still lose. You'll still lose. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. No, no chance. Yeah. No, I'd definitely take the coyote. I don't know what I would do. I'd probably go for, like, the, I don't think I'd purposely grab the mouth i think i'd probably try to grab the throat about as hard as i this is really strange but i was thinking about this last night (laughs) (laughs) yeah because there's a dog Uh, training technique where you like flip your dog over and you hold him like right underneath his chin you just hold him down upside like firmly but like not mean like you're not choking him you just flip him over and immobilize him and that yeah. it's part of like it's supposed to be part of like a canine pack heredi- like hierarchy where it's like yeah. they submit and once they quit fighting then they know like you're just in charge and you just let him up yeah and eventually yeah. like you can flip your dog over and hold and he doesn't even fight you he'll fight anyone else but he won't fight you because he knows he's not going to win right. and I did this once with a puppy that I was you know growing up in my parents' house as their dog but we were I was like twelve so I was training it and it was like five years later I'm like I wonder if he still remembers. And so if the whole point, though, is you can't lose. 
like once you lose, then that dog thinks he's in charge of you. And right. So I, I don't know. Dog trainers are probably going to write in and tell me how wrong this is <laughs> to do. But I'm like four years later, I'm like, I wonder if you still remember. So now I'm like 16. I've, we're outside. I'm, I remember I was going bow fishing. So I'm wearing like gym shorts and a cutoff. And I try to flip him over. And it turned into like a 30-minute brawl through the backyard like he's trying to flip me over and get on top and I'm trying not to lose and we ended up my parents house is like 40 yards down to the lake and we started up by the patio and we ended up like 10 feet from the shore my shirt was gone it was ripped off I was scraped everywhere but I remember thinking like once you got two hands on the underneath that was the problem you can never get both hands in time but once you get on top of them with two hands it's actually kind of easy to control a normal sized lab and a coyote like what's a big coyote weight 35 or 30 40 pounds yeah like usually males are like 30 high 30s to low 40s right at max yeah so if you got two hands on them like right around the neck and the ears yeah but then you're like okay now what (laughs) right yeah (laughs) so at least with the cat you could you got three sharp objects and two hands you're gonna lose anyway but yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about that last night. Like, what happens? Because I've been thinking about this whole trapping thing and, like, what happens if I trap the wrong – like, an animal I'm not supposed to trap. They got to release it. Yeah. And they come at yeah. you. And then I'm like, well, I could try to do the thing with the dog, try to, like, flip it over and hold it down and see if I can tame this coyote. But, Oof. yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I I didn't come good. up with any good answers. And the problem is that, like, the one species I'm probably not supposed to trap is going to be a wolf. And oh, I'm not yeah, doing that with worse. a wolf. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sounds like a no. terrible idea. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My buddy in Indiana, they can't, uh, I think it's Indiana. They can't keep, um, bobcats. So like he's letting bobcats out of traps. I'm like, that's the last thing I'd want to do. No, that sounds awful. You have to let one out. They're just, man, those things are freaking wicked. The problem is you're definitely not going to die either. I mean, that's not the problem, but you are going to live through that pain and those scabs. You're gonna, yeah, you're getting mauled. You're gonna have to feel every inch of those scratches. Oh yeah, that, brutal. That does sound bad. Um, <laughs> that sounds terrible. So like when you're talking coyote sizes, though, you said like a big male is in the 40s still. Like a 50 pound coyote, for example, would be like talk of the like like dude. You hear Blake shot a 50 pound coyote? You're like holy crap. 50. Yeah, I'm not saying they're not there. I think there's some places probably in the United States, but Missouri, the biggest coyote I've ever shot, in Missouri, is 42. Okay. Um, a male, but a lot of males, older males are usually, we find them somewhere between like 37 and 40. 40 is a big one. I mean, 40 is a, 40 is like the equivalent of shooting a 180 deer. I mean, it's a, that's a kind of rare, kind of bigger animal. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. For us now, granted, you can probably get out West and shoot some fifties and whatever, you know, there's probably some places in the United States. I know Canada has some really, really big coyotes up there. Yeah. Cause I, I also think you get do. like, I think you get in certain places like mixed gene pools. Like I've yeah. heard, for example, in South Dakota with like reservations and like stray dogs. And then they kind of mix in with some coyotes and all of a sudden you're getting mm-hmm. like coyotes, the size of a German shepherd, which sounds right. scary. <laughs> yeah. Not good. But yeah, okay, so 40 is a pretty big one. Yeah, yeah, for right. here, for Missouri at least. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's that still is a big animal. Like, what's it's a bobcat a going? Like 20 pounds, 30 pounds? Yeah, most of the bobcats are upper 20s. Uh, you can get some bigger ones. I think the state record's like 40 something, maybe maybe 50. But oh I think it's I think it's high 40s, which is monstrous. I think the biggest bobcat I've ever killed was 30. 
34, I think, or 33 or something like that. And it was a, I mean, I was like, oh, this thing's got to be a state record. Like it was big, but oh yeah, I, I don't, I can only imagine what, you know, a 40 pound bobcat. I can't imagine either. It's a beast. What's the breakdown of like, when you go like, I don't know. What's the breakdown of animals? Like, if you were to shoot 100 animals, how many of them are, like, coyotes versus a bobcat? I suppose there's some foxes thrown in there. Um, is that the yeah, only real three that you really see calling predators? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we call them, like, coy- uh, um, raccoons will come to the call like no other. Like, I never knew how much raccoons actually hunted um, until I started Man, really be, calling. They got to be terrible at hunting. Oh, my God. Like, they're they probably just, like, oh, man, that thing's not moving. We can finally catch one. Yeah, they just run in and just absolutely belly flop the call. But they're like, not, like, just belly overly flopping. fast or agile. Like, they're no, not as fast as a coyote. No. They're not sneaky like a cat. Like, they kind of are, like, they probably think that when they see the call and it's not moving. They're like, I bet we can catch this one. And they just run yeah. at Like, they they have, uh, like, a they're... gang mentality. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they just jump in and literally they'll, I mean, I have some thermal videos of just them just absolutely running across the field and just belly flopping the call. And then they just walk away like in shame. Right. Whenever I see them walking, they look like the most unathletic animals, like like on the level of porcupines. They just like waddle, especially if they're corn fed and their belly's dragging on the ground. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've had them come in. I mean, we had a three-legged one come in that literally had three legs and ran Ooh. all the way in and jumped on the call. Like there's he got just, trapped. Yeah, somebody he got out of somebody's trap. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. But that's what you call for the most part. Do you ever shoot the uh, raccoons? We, no, we can't. It's oh, so dumb. I know. Really? I wish you could, yeah. yeah I bet we can't, can't either uh, then. I don't know. There's it seems like yeah. a weird animal to have that many rules about it. I you know, and everybody talks about them being the problem, and I'm like, well, if they're the problem, let's fix oh, with the problem. ducks and pheasants and turkeys for sure. Yeah, yeah, those like, suckers are the what problem. Are we doing, but you also can't shoot bobcats here at night, um, oh. which makes zero sense to me because you can shoot them during the day in the same time frame, but you can't shoot them at night with a thermal. I, I, I bet people are worried you're going to accidentally shoot their cat. Maybe, but man, you can tell like. Well, yeah, who's got 40-pound cats running around? Well, not yeah, all of them like, 40 pounds, but... Right, yeah. but even 23-pound cats running around that, you know what I mean? They're that long-legged, and it's yeah. just... With paws the size know. of paddles. Yeah, like, I don't know. And no tail, like... Oh, yeah, that's I mean? true. They don't have tails, so, like, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, house cat's going to have that tail that right. gives them away. So those are the three. Yeah. So, like, what would be the breakdown of, like, how many... I would assume it's mostly coyotes, but, like... Out of yeah. 100 coyotes, how many bobcats and foxes are mixed in? Um, I would say it's it's low. I mean, I probably kill a calling. I probably only kill maybe five or six bobcats a year. Yeah, and same for foxes um, or no? And same for fo- foxes are super intentional for us. They, they aren't in the wild, so they're always around some type of town, oh. uh, some type of, of community per se. So what do you mean we'll, they're not like, in the wild? Like we don't have them out like just at, at farms. Like you have to get close to like a small town or like a small. Oh, so you're saying human like human structure. They are wild. I mean? They like, just, there's not enough yeah. of them that you'll just find one out in the prairie. Yeah. Like we got to go like a lot of the, the foxes we've killed have been around like old houses or and even like on the outskirts of a town. A lot of times you'll kill uh, foxes. Um, we just don't see them much out away from civilization much here that's weird for me. now i know i know, I know 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's because you know coyotes and them kind of have this. I've heard that love hate relationship. You know, I have they heard that. they'll run. Yeah, they'll kill foxes and they they don't like each other. And I don't know if it's that or if it's just a habitat <laughs> thing. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. But now you go out west, like Colorado, like where they have grays. We only have reds here for the most part. Um, where they have grays and stuff. Like I know guys that go out there and call them in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? Really? They, they live just like everything else. Yeah. Okay. But they're even less. I mean, I've shoot i think i've shot in my life i think i've only shot like three foxes oh wow like we just don't get them a bunch yeah yeah okay don't so don't expect here. a fox no no if you get a fox it's a it's a rarity that's cool for um, sure the one of the last things i wanted to ask you kind of kind of came up and i didn't really realize that we we're talking about the can't shoot bobcats at night because i'm sure mm-hmm. the cat people are worried you're gonna shoot their cat but then i was like i feel like it's a lot easier to shoot someone's dog on accident with their way easier well not saying like it happens like obviously it doesn't happen but how do you like is there ever when you're looking at one and maybe it's like you're not getting good clarity for whatever reason you're like man i think that's a coyote but like there are some homes on this you know we're not too far away from some houses i i don't know like what if it is a dog or how often do you see an actual dog you're like okay well that's clearly a dog like a lab yeah you're gonna be able to tell a lab because its ears are floppy but like what if it's like a little right. border collie looking thing with pointed ears? Like a right. blue healer like a would be terrible. Blue healers, yeah. yeah. German shepherds are usually a little bigger, but oh, that's yeah, good shit German out of me. Shepherd, <laughs> you know? German shepherd running at me in the middle of the dark, and I'd be like, yeah. "There's a wolf." <laughs> um, they the thing is, they don't hunt oh. like a coyote does. If that makes sense, so it'd have to be a wild they, dog. Yeah, it'd have to be a wild dog for the most part. I mean, you, there's been times we've called them many times, and there's been times we're like, oh, I don't know what that is. I don't know. We, so we just let them go ahead and finish. And a lot of times a dog will, like, set back and then start barking at 100 yards. Or, you know what I mean? They okay. just won't crash the call, and they just won't hunt it. There's not that predatorial instinct like what a coyote has. So anytime, and I'm going to sound like I'm preaching safety here, but anytime there's a question, we just right. don't shoot. Yeah. I mean, what's it? Okay, I lose that coyote. It's well worth that than to shoot somebody's freaking yard dog. You know yeah, that mean? would be so awful. Like, no one would want to do that. No one would. No, That's man. not good so for like, anyone. How often no. are you seeing something that you're like, either that is for sure a dog or I might be a dog? Like, is it every year you're seeing stuff like this or like? Uh, no, maybe once a year. Maybe okay. I'd say at most. Yeah, it's not, it's not very common, but we're also not in a very populated uh, area populated area yeah it's not now i'm sure you get around that you get around people that have dogs like you got to kind of be mindset of that like there are some places we call where like we can see a house you know while we're hunting right and we always check the house first before we start calling and then if we keep calling we always kind of scan it to see if it comes from that direction right (laughs) obviously it's probably their house dog because they're going to be barking when we pull up and things like that so we just kind of keep that in our minds when we're out there is it pretty easy to be like something doesn't look right like if someone's new with thermal and they're hunting and they're like man i don't think that looks right like because coyotes have a pretty distinct shape and they're all the same like for the most part and they move and they move like the little uh, hoppy yeah, well, they're, they have very fast legs. Yeah. So if you – with a thermal, there's a lot of times at night we'll see something, and I'll be like, ooh, that looks like a coyote. But until it moves, I can't tell. So it could either be a mm. raccoon. It could be whatever. Like, you know, you're talking 500 yards, 600 yards out there. You just can't tell. You're just getting heat signature. So you watch it and see what it does. And, and 
once it starts moving, you can quickly identify if it's a possum, a raccoon, you know, whatever the case may be. Okay. Um, do you, so I've seen this before on like TikToks, um, where people are hunting with thermals and I think it's more common with hogs, but they'll be like, dude, there's a hog. And the other guy's like, where? He's like, right there in the middle of the field. Like, you not see it? It's right there. And he's like, no, I can't see it at all. He's like, it's in the wide open. Like, how do you not see this thing? And it's thermal. And so the guy's like, he's like, you can tell he's looking everywhere. And I'm like, I can't find it. He's like, well, I'm going to shoot it. He's like, well, how do you know it's a hog? It's like, dude, I don't know. There's no hog out there. Like, I don't know what you're looking at, but it's not a hog. Like, don't shoot it. He's like, well, I'm going to shoot it. It's right there. It's pure white. And the guy looks over. He's like, dude, you're pointed like four feet in front of you in the ground. He's like, oh, it must have been a mouse. (laughs) It's like, does stuff like that ever happen, though, when you have thermals? Because, like, like, it just warps your perception of... absolute reality and you think you're looking at like this and you're like oh shoot that's not even close i was way over here oh man yeah there's times guys get in there and like birds in a in a fence row when they're roosting at night like little sound songbirds and stuff will will roost in there so if you're you know you have no depth perception i always tell everybody who's going to thermal hunt like save your money and buy one with an lrf in it because there is no chance you can tell yardage. Oh, all. so you're saying like, oh, at that bird's all. that's thirty yards away, so it's not a coyote. It's like that. It's must not be. a coyote, or right? Like, oh, right, this is four right. inches in front of my barrel. It's probably not a hog. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Because that happens, dude. I mean, the first time we went out, we're like, oh my god, there's like five over there, and it's like, no, those are just songbirds that ten feet away in this fence row. You know oh what Jesus! I mean? but like, open up. You just them. can't tell until you spend some time on your optic and like understanding how things go. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got to get an LRF though. That's hands down because it, it's telling distance is just not there. You just can't do it. Yeah, I had it's a buddy that had an AR with. He didn't have LRF, but he had night vision on it, and I don't know why he bought it, but he had it, and he just used it to check his food plots at night. And he'd just be like, <laughs> "Hey, dude, there's a huge buck out there. You want to see it?" And we're at a campfire, and he just holds <laughs> up, and it's like, "Holy crap!" You could see everything. You could see the like yeah. the blood vessels in his antlers because it was in summers of full velvet. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. I was like, man, I want one of these. Another one of those things yeah, where it's I, like I don't – something always else comes up, but they look sweet. Yeah, I use mine like crazy. I So in Missouri, you can't legally possess one with a weapon um, anywhere unless it's thermal season. So I have a hand scanner that doesn't go on a weapon. It's just, you know, handheld. Yeah. And I'll keep it. And in the summer, I'll go out and scout bean fields. Mm-hmm. For, we used to, in the old days, I used to go sit in the bean fields in the evenings and just hope they daylighted so I could get some video of them. Well, now I, I am able to take the hand scanner out and drive around and get on these fields and watch with the hand scanner and see what bucks are using what and where <laughs> without a weapon. And, and it's, so, it's such a cool tool. If it's, if it's a legal thing in your state, it's a great way to scout that and scout turkeys as well. Oh, you just look up like, and look for a bunch of yeah. white dots in the trees? Yeah, you're like, oh, look, that's the tree they're in. I like, could do that from my deck because like, yeah. where the turkeys would be is like 200 yards behind the house, and there's enough of a rise where when they're roosted, I bet I could, find, I could, bet I could pick them out from the house and be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah I know where to hunt in the morning. All right, great. Yeah, 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 you could utilize it that way. There's just a ton of cool uses for Do you use it blood trailing? Yeah, yeah. Does it, I do that sometimes. Do you too. usually find them like pretty fast with that yeah. sucker? I mean, it's a line of sight thing is how yeah. it works. So, you know, it, it's a little different. Obviously, you're going through thick stuff. But it, uh, there's been the multiple times that I've got up on deer that were questionably wounded. And instead of just waiting till the next morning, we'll give it till dark. And then we'll sneak in with the wind and the thermal, the handheld, and just get eyes on them to see where they are. 
So like if it's a mediocre oh. shot and we don't know what they're going to do, I would have, you know, typically I would have just backed out and right. not gone in there. But with having the thermal scanner, I'm able to go in there that evening and just get eyes on them and see where they are and see how they're acting, see all that stuff. And I can kind of tell. And nine times out of 10, unfortunately, we've left them because what else can you do? And gone back the next morning and coyotes have gotten them up and moved them. And then we have to try to refarm again. And then we yeah. go on the blood trail anyway in the morning. But sometimes they'll stay where they are if the coyotes don't mess with them. And you'll end up picking them up right there where they're dead the next morning. But yeah, every deer I've ever recovered leaving them a night luckily they uh didn't have any issues with coyotes they stayed right where i left them the only deer i've ever not recovered at all were deer that i left overnight and it was pretty evident the coyotes ran them off i had bow in one night i saw four coyotes in between when i shot a doe and when i got out of my stand i shot at one that was one i missed i didn't have an arrow knock i'm like oh that was crazy and he caught the he caught the tracks of my blood trail and I'm like, oh, no, he probably smelled that wounded deer. Like, I scared him off, but mm-hmm. I bet he's not leaving. And then I saw another yeah. one. I tried to knock an arrow, and he busted me knocking an arrow. And then two more came in that were, like, a ways away. And the way they all went, there was at least three different coyotes. Because I saw two at once, and one of them was still over here. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there was four. And I'm like, there's right. no chance I'm finding that deer in the morning. Yeah. They push him around, and then it's just no holds bar. They yeah, she just anywhere. ran. She didn't – She didn't bed again after that one bed, and I drilled her like a – well, I didn't drill her because obviously I didn't recover right away, but it was like a – I showed everyone the video, and they're like, I can't believe that deer's not dead. Like, if anything, I suppose yeah. you've got liver, and typically a liver right. shot deer is going to crash, maybe bed a couple times in 50 yards, and you'll find them in the morning. But right, never bedded again, ran to the 300 yards off our property. Blood was starting to get super sparse. I think those coyotes just ran her to death. Yeah. So another reason to start hunting coyotes, I suppose. That's a fact. Yeah. That is a fact. Start laying down. Sounds sounds like you got a decent population, at least to hunt. So. Well, that's different farm. That's not even this farm. That's another oh, family okay. farm. Yeah. Do you ever hunt yeah. them from, I noticed you have a couple of, like, bigger box blinds for your deer hunting. Do you ever sit uh-huh. in those to hunt what coyotes? I don't. Uh-uh. Just I don't. Um, options are so limited with windows and movements. and Yeah. And getting them around and stuff. How fast you need yeah. to be. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't. uh I haven't, but I mean, yeah, you can definitely. I know guys that do all the time. It's not, wouldn't be a problem. Be a comfortable way to do it for sure. Yeah. I've got a big platform um, and I just put a blind on it this year, but before it was just a platform. I'm like, that would have been perfect because it's a CRP farm. So everything's open. Oh, I got to yeah. just lay it up there on the big platform and kind of like yep. call of duty sniper route. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Cow some shit. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> so. <laughs> That would have been great. But, no, it's it's something that I'm definitely interested in. And then when I get interested in something, usually, like, the next four podcasts are with people from that. Like, like <laughs> the next four guests will be coyote hunters because it's just – and then I'll right. get back on the shed hunting or something else. And But, yeah. no, it's definitely something I want to get into a little bit and, and maybe eventually build a rifle for it that would be, like, an antelope coyote rifle so I'm not shooting yeah. antelope with my 300 wind make anymore. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i'd say you need uh, you have a spot in your gun that you need i do have a gap in my rifles i got the trapper and i got the elk and i just there's a yeah a lot of distance in between so (laughs) pretty solid gap there yeah yeah awesome well i appreciate you being here today blake um talking coyotes with you we never even got to the deer so we'll have to do something else in the future but before we end this up today give people a chance to follow along with you and your adventures because you're pretty active out on the social media platforms so Send people yeah. wherever they, wherever you'd like to send them, and have have them follow along. 
yeah so it's at the at the blake garrett on instagram um at the blake garrett eight on tiktok um and then i also run unfiltered outdoors which is on uh instagram as well but then also on youtube as well so we put some recorded content on there um but the majority of everything goes through instagram and tiktok right now um just kind of doing some shorts and playing with some different production stuff i need to sit down and do some recorded stuff because i've got a little backlog of some hunts from coyotes to deer to turkeys that i haven't edited up yet that i need to do but uh hopefully i'll have some free time after these next couple months and do it you know how many people are running around with camo hats and adobe creative subscriptions that just spend like endless amounts of time editing like editing video is the worst everything else is fun about what we do except editing video it's brutal i have to get in the mindset like i have to just crash into it to where i'm just like okay i'm not gonna sleep for the next week yeah and i'm just gonna knock this out yeah because i can't just dabble into it because once i start into it i can't get out you know what i mean like i can't get out and go back so i just have to like do it in a giant chunk I hear you in the same way, but, but yeah, we'll put the links to, um, the socials in the show notes of this episode. So go check it out. Go see some of the dogs we're talking about. Go see yeah. some of the giant bucks. But once again, thank you for being here today, Blake. And thank you yeah, for man. listening folks.